was a lot of suitors throughout the run of this show. They booed up. <laughs> Kim really stays booed up, and we love it. Um, I'm a big proponent of people dating a lot when they're young. Like, don't get tied down. There's plenty of time for that. And this is M. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is a podcast for TV lovers, movie buffs, and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we loved, what we hated, and what's just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to. And do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, join the GBB family and become a patron on Patreon. Patrons get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join us at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the immensely successful Moesha spinoff series, The Parkers. Focused on Moesha's supporting character, Kim Parker, and her mother, Nikki, the Parkers' unusual premise of a mother and daughter attending college together was a television hit. Starring former child actress Countess Vaughn and decorated comedian Monique, the Parkers consistently delivered on laughs and managed to pull off five award-winning seasons. So what made this series such a success across so many demographics? Stay tuned. everyone so here are some details about the parkers as we mentioned it is a spinoff of moesha this is a sitcom and it's created by the same moesha creators ralph farquhar sarah v finney and vita spears the series was released from august 20th 1999 until may 10th 2004 on the upn network for five seasons and a total of 110 episodes the series stars Countess Vaughn as Kimberly Ann Parker, a.k.a. Kim, our primary protagonist, Monique as Nicole Ann Parker, a.k.a. Nikki, her mother, who is our secondary protagonist, Jenna Von Oy as Stevie Allison Van Lowe, Kim's best friend and a member of their group Freestyle Unity, Ken Lawson as Thaddeus Tyrell Radcliffe, a.k.a. T, Kim's friend and another member of Freestyle Unity, Dorian Wilson as Professor Stanley Ogilvie, Nikki's love interest. Yvette Wilson as Andel Wilkerson, Nikki's best friend. Thomas Michael Ford as Mel Parker, a recurring character who is Nikki's ex-husband and Kim's father. And in the first season, Mari Morrow as Desiree Littlejohn, Kim's friend and neighbor. These are our major players, although there is a huge revolving door of recurring and guest characters. So let's jump into it. The Parkers came in strong with a very ambitious first season. They just knew the show was going to be a hit because they gave it 22 episodes from Jump. <laughs> let's talk about it. Yeah, the Parkers. So like, I think the I feel like the Parkers was one of those shows that um, was like a sleeper hit. 
what like mm-hmm. you think of as like a sleeper where like a lot of people are watching it and a lot of people are engaged in it, but like it's not necessarily given the sort of boost by press when you have a show like that. Mm-hmm. Like usually like when a show gets popular, it's then given this extra boost of popularity by press because like they're looking at the the ratings coming back and being like, hey, this show's popular. But um there are some shows that do well and are popular, but they never really get talked about in um, papers, like magazines and stuff. And and the Parkers, I think, was one of those shows. Absolutely. And the show, like I said, was award-winning. It won um, several awards during its run, but people still kind of high-key paid the show dust. Like, it wasn't doing what it was doing. It was it was pulling in bank. It was making numbers. It had the clicks. It had the views. It had the engagement. Um, so I'm not really sure why people don't talk about the show more. Maybe it's because it was it had an all-black cast. I mean, Moesha didn't get talked about a lot either, though significantly more than the Parkers. Um, I, I, I can't pinpoint a specific thing. I just know that the show deserved so much more than what it got. Right. Even now, as, you know, these shows have moved onto Netflix and people are rediscovering them, the Parkers definitely seems like it's, once again, like a, a favorite among among the sort of rumblings that you hear online. Right, it definitely is. And I think the cool thing about um, the age we live in now on the internet is, uh, like, back growing up, before we could communicate with each other, you could only communicate with, like, your classmates, right? And if they weren't watching what you were watching, I guess, well, you're like, I'm the only person into this. But now we realize how many of us enjoy the same things that at one point we thought were obscure interests. Right. And I think this is what's happening here. Because now, like, I knew Sister Sister was a hit. Everybody talked about that. Everybody watched that show. But I didn't know that the Parkers was the hit that it was. Um, I didn't know that... um, you know, so weird was the hit that it was. I thought I was the only person watching these shows. Right, right. So that's nice to see at least. But um, definitely I feel like um, this, I, and I kind of see this, this This never really stopped. And Netflix is doing this right now. Like there are some shows that they genuinely and truly don't promote, even though they are making money <laughs> on my block. And, mm-hmm. and I just need to know why. I just want to know. Right. Yeah. I think on my block is even like speaking of Netflix, um, on my block is a particularly agreed, like, I mean, is a particularly a great example. It's, it's definitely like a big, it's a sleeper hit. And yet there's no, on my block does not have the push behind it as opposed to say queer eye for the straight guy or like that, the reboot of that, that is on Netflix or um, the crown, the crown, or another one of Netflix's sort of orig- or Stranger Things, um, or other sort of Netflix original series is that uh, Netflix has, you know, put the weight of their their PR machine behind. There's definitely something not quite right there. Right. Um, at first, I used to think that they put they put power behind the shows that they knew would succeed so that it wouldn't be a marketing loss. But now it seems more and more that they're just putting their weight behind shows that they hope 
will succeed. And that's where we see the very clear biases come to light. I agree with that. I think that's very astute. Um, yeah, that's astute, and I agree. Like, I think you're right. If they don't think a show will, if they don't think a show will succeed, they don't bother to put the the stuff behind it. Um, and or if they think a show, or if they're just not into a show anymore, um, they'll just sort of let it flop. Uh, it's interesting. One of our followers talks about this. Um, I think she's problematic fave, and and I always look at, I always write like, I always read her stuff because like this is actually what she does for a living. She tracks the analytics mm-hmm. uh, for different streaming sites. I think she works for Viacom right now. Mm-hmm. So like, it's her job to like, it's part of her job to analyze the data of like what the the sh- like what's happening on the streaming sites and like the feedback and then like how these decisions get made like in this sort of new streaming era and and it's interesting it's very interesting oh yeah yeah i definitely would like to look at that because i love numbers and i love statistics and um something some it, it all of this looks really funny in the light is all i'm saying it does it looks really funny in the light <laughs> particularly when you consider that netflix changed their rules um, one, I think, I know one big thing that like made the, a really big thing that made the news was that Netflix changed like how they evaluate like their, their streaming properties. And it used to be if you, if something was watched to like 70% completion, then it was considered a success, right? Mm-hmm. Which makes sense, right? Like if I watch, if I, like, get, if I watch, you know, The Queen's Gambit and I watch, like, six episodes, but maybe I don't watch the seventh, like, that's still a success. That makes sense to me. Um, but now they switched it, but recently Netflix, like, switched their own rules and they said, like, if you watch 60 seconds of one thing, that's considered a, a success. <laughs> they, they Y'all need to stop playing. They count that as a watch. And I was like, what? That's a trailer, sweetheart. That's not a watch. <laughs> the hell? <laughs> right? That's a trailer. Like, I'm trying to, that's not like. Y'all really playing with me. Okay. I see how it is. And when, I, and I think when you take that particularly into consideration that like now that's like their metric of what's successful, well, then you can make anything successful. You know what I mean? Right. And just because you, and just because, like, I might, if a bunch of people watch 60 seconds of one thing, but they're not finishing it, well, that doesn't mean that they liked it. <laughs> like, It literally means quite the opposite. It means that exactly. I disliked it so much that I actually went back to the Netflix catalog. Right, and turned it off. Because I think now... Um, and I and you're right, and that particularly I think speaks to something because I think now it's really easy to just sort of like pick something and let it drone on in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, but like if I specifically cannot, if I'm watch, if some, if I'm letting something drone on in the background and I hate it so much that I'm gonna like go back to the Netflix catalog, like I feel like that should say something. 
Exactly. Like, what are y'all even doing right now? You know, people hated that shit. That's why they. That's why they clicked off. <laughs> that's why they clicked it off. But um, I don't know. It's the wild, wild west out there. But anyway, the Parkers. So the Parkers are really great. So the season kicks off, um, and we so. We're going to be talking about the Parkers, how we usually talk about um, our other sitcoms, which is we're just going to focus on the characters and certain episodes that stood out for us and then sort of grade the show on a, on our overall. But we're not um, going to split this up into two parts like we do with um, our interconnected dramas, just because the Parkers is a closed episodic type of show. So um, let's talk about... Let's start with um with I guess our two our two stars, Nikki and Kim Parker. Yes. So we met Nikki and Kim. Um Kim was a supporting character on Moesha. So we met her back then. We very familiar with her personality, which honestly really helps the pilot a lot because it feels like revisiting an old friend rather than learning about a bunch of new people. Um we learned that her mother, Nikki, um, you know, got her GED and applied to community college on the last season. And so, and that was a backdoor or the, one of the scenes of Moesha, excuse me. And that was like a backdoor pilot for the Parkers. And she and her mom, you know, they ruffle each other's feathers every now and then, but for the most part, they're quite close. And they're attending community college together. Um, They're very strong-willed people. And Kim is your typical late teen, early 20-something. She's just really trying to have a good time. And um, Nikki, although she has the best of invention, best of intentions, always finds herself kind of landing in hot water. Right. So, <laughs> so this is these are the people we're dealing with. And it's it's super duper fun. And um, I do think I will say this about the show. The show is so well cast, you guys. It is well cast. And you know what? Um, if if Moesha was a melodrama, uh, the Parkers is just pure, unadulterated fun. Like, I did not remember how fun and funny the series is. Yeah, that is a huge takeaway. The Parkers is really fun. It does have strong messages at, at, at certain points, but they never last for the duration of a season. We deal with it for one episode and we move on in true sitcom fashion. Yeah. <laughs> one and done. We're done. We're good. We're, right. We're good. And also, it, it was interesting to watch the, the Parkers really tackle that fat phobia, like, head on. Oh, yes. Um, I know in Moesha, they didn't really tackle it the way that they should have. Because our lead herself was a contributor to the fat phobia, Right. But they did tackle it on various episodes throughout various seasons of the Parkers. And one thing I love, and they did this on Moesha too, I will give the writers credit for that, the writers and the show runners, they never ever make it seem as if uh, Nikki and particularly Kim are without options because they're fat. Oh, she gotta, she's got to make do because she's a bigger girl. She's got to take whatever comes to her because she's a big girl. No, we're not, we don't play these games around here. Um, Kim never is without a boyfriend. Yeah, like, Kim has a lot of suitors throughout the run of this stay show. booed up. <laughs> Kim really stays booed up, and we love it. Um, I'm a big proponent of people dating a lot when they're young. Like, don't get tied down. There's plenty of time for that. Um, figure out what you want and what you like. You understand what I'm saying? Like, And the show was really, really great for that. So... 
Stevie makes some good new friends, and she really needed them because I feel like Nisi and Moesha weren't great friends to her. She makes some new friends on the college campus. You know, she meets Stevie, she meets T, and they're really good to Kim. Like, they're always chastising her because over her harebrained schemes and her foolish decisions, but I never feel like these friends are putting her down or making her feel less than, which is important. Right. Um, um, but you know, when we enter the, the season, we, 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 we basically get a really good preview of what we can expect from this show. They dive in head on with Nikki trying to pledge a sorority, right? Oh, right. Yeah. They both um, pledge the sorority together. They, they get jobs at a psychic hotline for extra money. More of what we can expect from the show. Right. Right. Something that I really loved is that I, it, the Parkers found that balance between sort of Moesha and sister sister um mm-hmm. in that you have these sort of weird harebrained schemes in the Parkers but it's still a grown-up show uh, in the way that I think sister sister never quite got to be um and then unlike Moesha uh Moesha which could get like really serious um, and really melodramatic. Uh, the Parker sort of shied away from that. Like, they did have dramatic moments and episodes, but they also never sort of lost sight of this, this fun, like, the, the fun and the joy of, of these characters and their situations and, and what they would and would not do. Right. Moesha had that... Moesha's writing in her journal music. Dear Oh, I miss Q so much. No, but seriously, like, the other thing that I feel like, too, is that you you mentioned that Sister Sister was a little boy crazy, which I didn't fully agree with. But I do think that Moesha spent way too much time focused on her her serious relationships, of which she had quite a few. There were, like, two or three guys that she was serious about, right? And the whole plot revolved around making these relationships work and how her father felt around about these relationships. I think the Parker did a the Parkers did a really good job of showing us that Kim had many suitors, but always, always, always putting them in the background. Right. Uh so in the first season, first season is cool. I think the first season is really just all about of the Parkers is uh about reintroducing Kim and Nikki, but then also introducing Kim's friends. Something that Moesha did that similar to what Angel did in their first season that I really appreciated was that they did sometimes have uh, characters from Moesha stop by so you could get like a real sense of so it could be really familiar episode there's like an episode where Hakeem comes yes it is really good to see the crew again but it's also really good to see them leave (laughs) Mm -hmm. very much I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie like um Countess Vaughn and Monique are a force, um, individually and together, and they really make this show. This is one of those shows where I don't feel like the supporting character is lending something irreplaceable to the protagonist and to the main plot. I felt that a lot with Moesha, especially with the Kim and the Q characters. I felt like they left an indelible impression and the show wouldn't have been as successful without them. I didn't feel that way on the Parkers. I really feel like you could have put anybody with any sort of sense of comedic timing with Countess Vaughn and Monique, and that show would have been successful. 
I can, yeah, I, I can agree with that. But yeah, see, uh, the season one really takes off. We meet Stevie, we meet T, um, we meet Mari, who only sticks around for this season. We meet Professor Ogilvy, Nikki's primary love interest. And we get a really good look at um, what we can expect from these characters, um, our, our main characters, our supporting characters, and what we can just expect from their you know college experience. I think the fact that they're in community college also makes it feel more like a sitcom because when you're talking about an, a university, especially if you are in the dorms, just that whole premise sounds dramatic as hell. I've yet to see anybody make living in a dormitory into a true blue comedy. Oh no, I take that back. Blue Mountain State did that. I was about to say, I was like, I think there's that one that like and it, it's exactly that one, Blue Mountain State. But yes, there is something inherently very dramatic about dorm rooms, uh particularly dorm rooms in old buildings, um, which colleges dorms tend to be. Uh it's just the way it is. Um but let's talk about the fat phobia a little bit and how the show was like, we are messing with that um very early on. Episode 13 of season one, Kim is dating a guy named Garland, and he's a comedian. I think he's played by Nick Cannon. Yes. Yeah. And he starts he starts making fat jokes um, as part of his main act. Like, he's, he's, he's actually with a fat girl, and he's making fat jokes, which shouldn't surprise me um, because it happens so much, but it's a real shame that you're out here treating the women in your lives like this. Um, and Kim doesn't stand for it. Um, and Nikki has to be the one that comes and, and crushes his soul. Right. Yeah. Nikki is really stand. I mean, Kim sort of at first is very, you know, she's very Kim about it. She's kind of flippant. Um, but Nikki really does put him in his place. And she's like, you have to really think about how your words affect people. And what that means and how they suffer the consequences from what you deem as just quote unquote jokes. And with that episode, you and what's brilliant about that episode is that you kind of have this one two punch message of not only the fat phobia, but then how what we can perceive of, but then also this, I think, ongoing conversation that exists in comedy and comedy circles of what is a comedian's responsibility to the jokes that the jokes that they are telling and how those affect people in real time and how people take their words and and will use them for things that they never originally intended right 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 and one thing i can say about monique as a comedian not even the nikki character is that she's probably the only comedian who didn't make their career with fat jokes, black jokes, dark skinned people jokes, um, uh, jokes um, putting down women and gay jokes. I remember one specific comedy um, special in particular where she was doing a stand up at a woman's prison. And she on that stage checked herself for her internalized homophobia. Um, and made a, made a basically a whole routine out of how her son had to teach her to be a more tolerant person and a more accepting person. But back to the episode, what I think is great about this episode is that it was a, a, a teachable moment, but then we don't keep the boyfriend around. She's dating someone else by the next episode. And I think that's significant. I definitely want us as a culture to remove ourselves, to divorce ourselves from the idea that fill-in-the-blank person 
is ignorant. Um, and it's our job to teach them, not just teach them, but love them into being a better person. I agree. Um, this whole, oh yeah, you know, like every white person would not be racist if they just, you know, they got themselves a black partner. Like, not only is it muley as fuck and it's fetishy as fuck, why is this burden being put on the marginalized person's shoulders? So I'm glad that's the last we saw of Garland. Um, <laughs> the next episode is really funny. Um, Nikki introduces a Kim to her old flame and they start dating. Things like that pop up throughout the season where like, Kim messes up in a big way or Nikki messes up in a big way and they hurt the other, but like, it's never anything that they just can't get past. Um, right. Which I think is significant. Their relationship is really strong and I really love it. Like honestly, mother daughter goals. <laughs> Definitely. They have, they do have like a really sweet relationship with each other and, and um, have each other's back in a way that that's really great. So something else I want to sort of bring up is that something that is, the show sort of tackles head on and, and we'll, I guess, come back to at different points in the series is this idea of, um, not this idea, but this, this sort of ongoing tension, this, this ongoing, like sort of class tension that that's happening with Nikki and Kim. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, um, oh, sorry. And the first time I, at least I saw it pronounced was when, uh, Kim joins a sorority and, and wants to impress Stanley's mom or something. Mm-hmm. And the mom is like, and the mother really disrespects, disrespects and berates Nikki, mostly due to her class position. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that, but really briefly, because I feel like these are intertwined. I really want to talk about how this show does something that I hate, which is perpetuate this uh, television portrayal of deadbeat dads being let off the hook mm, you guys okay, we'll, kim's we'll kim's dad it. has kim's dad has money you guys money <laughs> he's living in a big ass house she is his only child nikki is his ex-wife where are the reparations right why are they struggling financially why have they been struggling financially since moesha make it make sense we have a black christopher on our hands and i hate it here <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much. And y'all really gotta stop writing this and stop writing these women that just allow them to be deadbeats. Right. That, that's a. I think that's another thing. What is it with portrayals of women allowing men to be deadbeats? Like I still love you. I still care about you. I'm gonna struggle to raise our child by myself. I'm gonna struggle to put our child through college by myself. And we'll just make it happen. Now, in his defense, Christopher did pay for Rory's last year at Yale after Lorelai had already done all the begging that she could from her parents to put the kid through Chilton, after Richard had cleared those checks for the first six semesters. Now he want to have his little input at, at the 11th hour. <laughs> like, but whatever. I'm not mad. Yes, I am. I But I am upset about this portrayal for me it's significant that y'all just keep writing these men like this like no, the- just killed this girl daddy off and i would have respected that more right that is concerning about why that is or like why that's always happening like and the only thing i can think of is that it's like misogynoir 
like, in, at least it's specifically in this case, because I wonder if you have a storyline where Nikki finds Kim's dad and sues him for back child support or sues him to get some type of finance, like financial monetary gain or compensation, like how people would be like, oh, well, black women should be strong or like you're lazy because like you didn't want to go out and work. I, I do think I, you would probably hear a narrative similar to that. And why are we shaming women for that? Let's say these single moms don't want to come out here and work. And I have yet to see that shit with my own eyes ever. But let's say they didn't. Is anyone shaming men for not wanting to sit at home and take care of children? Exactly. It's like we we are we're very normalized men not taking care of of children and not or and not even taking care of their wives when they're pregnant either. Right, right, right. And here's the thing. If a man is a provider, no woman is going to shame him for not having dinner. And not vacuuming the house. She, she might get on him for throwing his socks on the floor and not putting the toilet seat down. But she's going to take on that burden of running the household if he is providing fully financially for the home. Like, no one diminishes a man's contributions to the home the way that y'all consistently diminish women's contributions to the home. Right, right. And so, all that aside... Nikki is working. She spends from series opening to close busting her ass trying to support her and Kim. And Mel is right there, right across town, living in his big house with his new wife. After she sacrificed to help him get through school, and then he leaves her with their child that he didn't want in the first place. Right. Like, it's, make it make sense. Right, and it's ugly. And, and Nikki supports them with, like, What's essentially like a Mary Kay hustle, right? Right, right. She's doing like, it's a lady Egyptian, they call it on the show. And she does that for a while. But since she's got a bunch of side hustles, she's working at the Psychic Network. There was a time when Nikki tried to sell her own makeup line after she broke with Lady Egyptian. Um, she's always running some sort of clever scam and scheme. It's very reminiscent of Lisa from Sister Sister, right? Mm -hmm. She had her clothing line, but then she was also always trying to run some other hustle to make ends meet. Lisa situation makes sense though she adopted a child as a single woman she uh, she came into motherhood knowing she would be single then ray comes along and she doesn't have to worry about rent um and bills anymore but she still got a child to support and she still got her own self to support and save for right right um that that framing makes sense this does not only doesn't make any sense, it's it's flagrantly insulting. Y'all tried this shit on Reba too, now that I think about it. Reba still had three underage children when Brock left her to be with his new wife, bought a house next door to her, taking care of the new kid, and Re Reba's working two jobs to support her and her three kids that he left behind. Right. And it's it's interesting. I think it when you also examine it, there's this relentless push to put like a happy face on single motherhood that also doesn't feel right sometimes favorite uh so favorite episodes of season one hmm good questions uh i like uh obviously one the opener grape nuts 
Um, I really like four taking tie bow with bow with my bow. Uh, that's like where Billy Blanks of Tybo fame shows up. And that's, that's just fun because like, that's like just a real, uh, blast from the past, like a cultural artifact. Um, cause I used to have Tybo tapes. Eight quarantine, mostly cause it just feels timely. I completely forgot that's what that episode was called. <laughs> uh, 15 funny, funny, 15 funny, funny Valentine. 18 it's a spring bling thing 21 since i lost my baby and 22 get me to the church on time my favorite episodes of season one are also the season opener grape nuts number two scammed straight this is the episode where kim and nikki work at a psychic hotline hilarious episode three daddy's girl this is where we learn early but not not for the last time. What a deadbeat Kim's incredibly wealthy father, Mel, is. Kimberlale, episode seven. Um, this is where Kim shows her new designs uh, at a, f- a sorority fashion show. And also number eight, Quarantine. Episode 13, Big is Beautiful, is a really great episode. That's the episode that tackles fat phobia. Yeah, so those are my those are my episodes. Those are my favorite episodes that Alex um, may not may not have mentioned. Um, the season is great. It's really fun. It's really easy. I can't stress this enough. When I watch a sitcom, I want it to be easy. Stop making me think so hard. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, just just let me live. Let me get my little chuckles in. I'm not a really LOL person. It takes a lot to make me laugh out loud. But if I can get a little chuckle in, I feel like I've achieved something. And then I, let me move on with my life and not dwell on the subject matter. Um, so season two, I think, was very good. Uh, what do you think? Good, bad, or basic? Um, season season one or season two? I'm sorry. I meant season one. Season one was very good. How about you? Good, so, bad, I or think- same. I'll put it as a, as a solid good. I think it gives me everything that I look for in uh, the my like my my sitcoms. You know what I mean? All right, let's jump into season two really really quickly. Um, season two. Uh, oh no! Before I jump into season two, I do want to make a note about uh, season one. Season one, episode nineteen had an episode that I feel I would be remiss. Um, if I didn't give our viewers a content warning about, and I didn't chastise the writing on this particular episode on this episode, T falls for, uh, a girl, um, uh, the apartment manager, Rachel, but, uh, learns that quote, she used to be a man, AKA she's transgender. Mm. She's a transgender woman. And he has his whole hangups about this. I don't like this and I don't like the way this episode dealt with it. And I don't like this narrative that a lot of shows, sitcoms, dramas, et cetera, promote that trans women are just out here, not trying to just live their lives, but trying to trick straight men. Exactly. But exactly what you're saying. That's always a really ugly narrative. Yeah. I don't like it. So content warning on that. This one episode out of the 22 episodes was really in very poor taste. Um, but luckily, we don't get other episodes like it going forward. Um, but to any writers listening that are writing 
current shows don't think you're going to get away with this like these shows that came out in the early 2000s and late 90s um prior to social media prior to people working on their internalized bigotries got away with it like y'all got to do better do better than this is all i gotta say so yeah let's jump right into season two season two was also 22 episodes long season one had ended on the cliffhanger of kim eloping with her boyfriend jarell and in the season um two opener uh, wedding bell blues kim learns that unfortunately or nikki learns that unfortunately kim did go through with the wedding she and jarell are married right i thought this was interesting because usually it's sitcoms they always have someone making the right decision or being interrupted for making the bad decision at the 11th hour and did this not happen here kim actually went through with this which i think was the first time i've ever seen a sitcom give a woman an adult woman agency to be wrong right no that's a good point like, yeah, she's wrong as hell, but she's grown. <laughs> you live, you learn, you make mistakes. <laughs> right. That is that is like a an interesting function. Um, and it's and it's great to see that because even um I think now sometimes sh- I think sometimes shows will like go out of their way to be like, oh, what she did was wrong, but and try to justify it instead of just being like, no, it was wrong, but like you live, you learn absolutely now nikki's devastated about this and she has every right to be first of all kim's her child um number two she also got married very young and she understands what it is when two people get married without their finances in order without um their dreams fulfilled and she's worried that kim's life is going to be put on the back burner for jarell's because this is essentially why she married him in the first place he was going to um, take a job offer in Paris, and she didn't want to them to be apart, right? Right. Um, so Nikki doesn't want that. She doesn't want her daughter to repeat this cycle. And she's so afraid of it that she has like a whole, whole horrible dream about Kim's future. And Kim being like neck deep in babies, taking care of a messy house, and a bunch of babies' kids. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like she is terrified of this happening. Um, and that Jarrell eventually ends, ends up in prison, this, that, and the third. So it's kind of like a Nightmare Before Christmas-style ghost of Christmas future situation. But she's looking into her daughter's future. Right. It's a, it's a pretty clever episode. It is very, very clever. Um... Uh, they're still married in episode two. Breaking up is hard to do. Like Kim and, and Jarrell are preparing to leave for Paris, and then his mom shows up. Da da da. Da da da. She learns some unsavory information. Let's put it at that. And that's when they just they um she decides to end this and annul this marriage. Um, again, a decision she made. Um you know, learning new information, not one that her mother pressured her into making. I think this is also significant. That is significant because like, um, you know, ultimately it's her choice. Right. Right. And we have to give, uh, uh, um, I mean, I think it's important to give girls, but especially adult women agency to do what they're going to do with their lives. Right. Right. Um, 
so season two starts off really, really strong. And like I said, the Parkers doesn't ever spend too long on one particular issue. There is no running theme for a whole season or a series of seasons. We deal with whatever we got to deal with in two, one to, th- to two episodes, three episodes tops. And then we move on with our lives. <laughs> right, right. We love it. Love we it. love it. Um, and she... Episode three, she's she's moving on to a new man, Bradley, and trying to get him to ask her out. Right. It's it's back to the sort of, you know, um, episode to episode, like, story, like, self-contained stories. Yeah, we really love it. Um, um, now, she had moved in with this guy, Bradley, um, and... Uh, and um, he doesn't pay rent. He's a slob. He doesn't ask her out. Um, and she finds out that he's gay. So it's it's done. It's a wrap. Like, she can't get a boyfriend out of him. She can't even get the rent money out of him. <laughs> so she kicks him out. And um, uh, Nikki, uh, excuse me, Kim says she doesn't have a roommate anymore. Um, and Kim and Nikki end up living together again, right? Right. It's really, really interesting um, because their relationship, I think the way that it's written, really does a great job of walking the fine line between mother and daughter and best friends. They have the relationship that Lorelai and Rory think they have. They do. Like, yeah, that's that's a really good point to bring up. Um, Kim and Nikki do. They, they, there's... Whereas I think Lorelai and Rory just need boundaries. Like they, um, Kim, Kim and Nikki have them, and and when they cross them, they know that they've. Then there's like, it's like oh, a boundary has been crossed, and and they usually rectify it. Mhm, mhm. Um, they do have boundaries, and I feel like they also have a real friendship. They don't always agree with each other, but they're always open to the other person's opinion. Lorelai and Rory's relationship subsists on the fact that for most of the seasons of the show, they're essentially the same person at different ages. They have the same interests, they have the same hobbies, and they have the same opinions about most things. Right. <laughs> Kim and Nikki couldn't be further from that. But like a real friendship... They do respect each other's boundaries, like you mentioned, and they don't always agree, but they're they always know that this person, other person, has their best interests at heart. Exactly, and that um, and that allows for like real communication uh, to develop between them, and and for it to just be like a really beautiful show. Yeah, it's really great. The writing on this is really fantastic, and I can't stress this enough how great the chemistry is between Countess Vaughn and Monique. Amazing. Amazing. Um, we we continue the season with just one-offs. A lot of them are integrating Professor Ogilvy in his role as a professor and a campus director of various functions going on around school. I think one of the things that I love about season two in particular is it shows just how busy the campus is. I think a lot of people get the misconception that community college is where dreams go to die. And the campus life is, is very bustling here. Right. It's, it's there. It's, there's always stuff to do. They're always doing things. Um, I like that they, 
in fact, like the the campus works like you know any other campus. Like, and the people who are there are invested in this place, and that um, I like that, and I like that depiction. So, uh, season two also introduces us to a character named Regina, um, who's like a really like bougie black girl. And I don't know, there's something that I really love about the bougie black girl nemesis or adversary. I love it yeah. so much. Like, I've literally loved this since As Told by Ginger. <laughs> like, I... Oh, no, before that, I've loved it since Whitley Gilbert on A Different World, who, you know, did a whole metamorphosis of personality throughout the seasons, but she started as, like, that mean, bougie black girl. I love a bougie black girl nemesis. I love the haughty black girl, because so often when we're painted as the adversaries and the nemesis, it's always the girl who is uh poor and bitter and jealous and that's why she's mean oh right um (laughs) you know it's interesting i i love the bougie black girl like nemesis as well i just don't know that i love her in necessarily this context um there's always going to be something i think very not ish to me but just something that makes me tense uh (laughs) Uh, in storylines, like, tense in shows where the our heroes, like, I don't know, like, where, because our heroes of, of the series are Nikki and, I don't know, there's always something about that tension that always, like, makes me nervous. I can't, I can't put, like, my mind, my, my tongue to it at this very moment, but there's always something about, like, those hitting those things against each other that kind of, like, makes me, like, ooh, like, I feel, like, queasy. So I have a theory that might extrapolate on your feelings, so tell me if I'm anywhere in the neighborhood of being right. Maybe it's because on a Black show with an almost complete absence of white characters, the bougie Black character represents uh, the man and this is not an accurate representation. I de- like. I'm. Sh- I'm sure that's. I think that's probably like a part of it. Like definitely that. That feels maybe part of it. Like in the neighborhood. But um, I guess it's like that's part of it. And then I guess like another part of it is like I don't like the feeling that like my heroes are not in on the joke, or like that they're being laughed at, and like that's always like. Oh, right. No, no, no. That's so right. That's so right. Um, Like, that bugs. That always bugs. Like, always. I mean, I would rather it be the hero because I wouldn't want it to be, like, some supporting character or um, the person we're rooting for is the bougie black person. I think that would be so much worse. But yeah, I don't like I don't like that either when like your hero is being laughed at or they're the butt of the joke and they're being portrayed as like too simple or too ignorant to understand. Right. Yeah, that's basically it. Like, um, and I don't like necessarily, I guess, what it says about, there's also like a, I think a depiction of like a behavior, like there's a behavioral element of like mm-hmm. how, it, of like depiction that also is like, it, it bugs. Like I said, it's like, they're not in on the joke. Like, it's like their beha- behavior is being played for like laughs. Like, and so it's, and not, in laughs and that, like, 
they're the it's not like it's there the butt versus like the situation is just funny like or right. they're just doing something that's really you know over the top or like dramatic or something it it's just always a something that kind of bugs me that's it no that's valid that's very 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 valid let's see um this this continues to be a theme with the Regina character too, so I can see why it's like it gets under your skin. Um, right. Every time it's introduced, this this on an episode, this happens. Right, and it doesn't help that like Professor Nikki like chases after Professor Ogilvy like throughout the series, right? And that's like its own sort of thing that we'll get to that bugs me. Um, but it doesn't help that. When Professor Ogilvy like has his like quote unquote acceptable girlfriends, that they're all like Regina. Like, you know what I mean? Right. They're haughty, they're stuck up, they're also like very good looking and also very thin. Right. It's like there's there's something, it's just something that that's in the mix there that doesn't necessarily feel like it's clicking right. Right. No, I agree. And I mean, I, I've I've spoken about my feelings about the Stephen Q. Urkel character from Family Matters and how he's basically a stalker. And um, he was supposed to be a guest character that became a main character and then, then became the central character on a family sitcom. Um, probably the only character to ever do this that wasn't a member of the actual family in question, right? Because his persona became larger than life. And a lot of people have compared Nikki and Professor Ogilvy's relationship to Steve and Laura's relationship, which I don't think is a fair comparison since Steve and Laura are literally children and he's been stalking her since nursery school. Um, And everyone, including her own father, who's a cop, doesn't put a restraining order on this kid and makes her feel bad for constantly rejecting him. In The Parkers, it's framed very differently. Like, Nikki is thirsty and Professor Ogilvy is right to constantly reject her because why? How? Why could? She, why would she think she even has a chance with him? Right. That. That's how it's framed, and it's and that's uh, It's ugly. That's ugly. There's no other way to put it. Like, and it's part of why it bugs. It bugs me a lot. Um. So, it yeah. And when he rejects her, this these aren't even light rejections. These are like very mean and always with the with either verbally or implied via body language that he finds her grotesque right Um, so it's not even like oh you're too nerdy and i can't be with you or you're coming on too strong and i can't be with you because then they juxtapose this and show him coming on just as strongly with the women that he does find attractive. Now he doesn't keep following them or anything like that, but it makes it very clear that he, he enjoys that level of aggression from women that he finds attractive. Right. Um, so I don't like it. I, I mean, honestly, the professor Ogilvy relationship bothers me so much more than the Regina one, probably because she is, like I said, she's just like, like, that's uh this guest character that shows up on a few episodes um like he's part of the principal cast and his role is literally to quote-unquote humble nikki because other than this this dynamic between her and professor ogilvy nikki is a very confident person 
Right. And it doesn't feel good to like have that confidence, like be taken down a peg or take that character down a peg via this Professor Ogilvy character and their dynamic. That that's just that sucks. I honestly feel like Monique needed this check or wanted this check. And, be- and she is the most decorated comedian. She said it. She has the receipts. Don't argue in the comments. And <laughs> she wanted this check. But I don't see her herself writing something like this. I definitely see the writers as you're a fat black single mother who's going back to college in her, you know, what late 30s, early 40s. Um, you 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 aren't good enough for this man. And the, that pervasive narrative colors the entire sitcom. Right. And, like, not only are you not good enough for him, like, it, and this is, I guess, what I was trying to, like, allude to earlier. It's, like, you're not good enough for him at, at every single intersection. Like, you have no value. in Because there is, in this Professor Ogilvy like, dynamic there is like a a class there's a big sort of class intersection that's overtone that's there as well right like he's a professor he um he's a professor I don't think he owns his own home but um like the the power dynamic of him being a professor him being a student and then it's further compounded when we meet his mother who is sort of like a talented 10th type She's Regina as, as in her in her fifties, essentially. Basically, essentially, so there's <laughs> so there's all these things of like you don't you're you're too like uncouth to be with me, and that's that doesn't feel good. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I didn't really pick up on the class dynamic as much. Like I saw it, but it didn't bother me as much. And the reason it didn't bother me as much was because of their genders, because I've known since the beginning of time to this day, very very wealthy men are scooping up incredibly poor women if they find her attractive Mm. like men are willing to dismiss a lot of things if they find you attractive and the fact of the matter is a wealthy man isn't looking for a wealthy woman um um they don't care they'll be the provider in the situation more likely you'll have a wealthy woman seeking a wealthy man because to be with a poor man you'll never really know if he's with you for he's using you for your money and and or worse, end up having to support your man, which a lot of women aren't trying to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> really ain't trying to do all that. Like, we don't want to have a man up in our house drinking up our kids' juice boxes, playing Madden 360 all day long. <laughs> um, but, like, really and truly, I believe all else being the same on a socioeconomic standpoint, if Nikki was someone that he found attractive, he wouldn't care, and therefore we wouldn't see her class status, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, or like her class status would be, it would be, um, it would be treated, it wouldn't be treated like the way it's treated sometimes on this show, which is that like, it's something to be, it's something to malign her for. It would be treated like, um, like the nanny, like how Fran's class status is treated, how it's just this like fun kind of cute thing about her. Right. And I must point out Fran Fine never wore the same outfit twice. So she couldn't have been that poor. (laughs) 
Um, when they said she had style, she had flair. That is big facts. Okay. <laughs> Fran's wardrobe was nothing to mess with. Um, but seriously, back to um, uh, Nikki. I think one of the things that bothers me about the way she's treated insofar as class status as well is that um, while she is maligned for it, it is also treated as an assumption. Like, of course she would be poor. Of course she wouldn't have her shit together. Right. Like, we're, no one's talking about why she doesn't have her shit together, <laughs> Mel. Um, but of course. <laughs> right. No, yeah, exactly. It's exactly. Um, but season... Season two is, I mean, other than that big stuff that's happening, uh, season two is is also, for the most part, like, really good. There, there are a bunch of fun standout episodes. I, looking back, I particularly love the Election 2000 episode. Oh, yes, that was a great episode. Great episode. And I love that, too, because um, it shows, again, just how... Um, integrated and vivacious uh campus life is on a community campus um these things are things i see community campuses all the time that are rarely depicted even on university campuses on tv right and and it goes to speak to i think things that we talk about of like it's weird that like people can't come up with stuff for like can't come up with like things that are happening on the college, but the Parkers does it. Like they come up with all the all the stuff that's happening on on a on a college campus, um, and all all the fun things that like happen. Uh, but yeah, Election Two Thousand is great. There is a particularly there is an amazing <laughs> there is an amazing American like yeehaw early two thousands American flag moment that. Kim is wearing that like <laughs> when you see it it's just like what but it's great in like every conceivable possible way um Kim is having a lot of moments on that episode there's also like a when she when she, Kim becomes like a real politician and like during her like tv commercial she's wearing this green moment which is also like so good <laughs> I love that episode it's just really funny and it and it feels good considering we at least at, at the recording of this um at the recording of this we still don't know who the president is still right right and this was now they couldn't do it any other way cuz this episode aired i believe right as or the week of the election so it means it was like you know pre-recorded um but I think getting that message across of the importance of voting and being involved in the political process, I think these are super duper important. Yeah. Um, do you have any favorite episodes from season two? Yeah, I do. Well, obviously the 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 election two thousand episode. Um, that's episode eight. Also, in that episode, Kim is wearing this like reverse Jackie O moment. It's so clever. Like. It's a really cl- it's a really clever outfit and it's easy to miss but like just know that it exists and it's really good. Um but yeah, episode 8, uh what else? I like episode 3, the oddest couple. Uh and 5, JC Bowl. Um 6, was up. Hey. Um <laughs> that one, that was a really good one. Uh, 10 Turkey Day Blues. 
12, Mama, I Want to Sing. 14, Blind Mistake. Oh, 14, Blind Date Mistake. So this episode is like, the whole episode takes place in the convention of like, this old 90s show that like doesn't even air anymore called Blind Date. But like, if you were... I love it so much. Right? But if you ever like watch Blind Date, Blind Date was like, sort of the reverse of cheaters. It was like the happy version of cheaters. <laughs> um, if anybody knows anything about what I'm talking about right now. Before they uh, were cheaters. <laughs> wait, say that again? It's literally before they were cheaters. <laughs> right. Before they were cheaters. Um, and that's really great. It's so, it's just such a, once again, it's, it's like a real time capsule. Um, 17 single black female. Uh, and, 20, Etu, Andel, 21, Love and Hisses, and then 22, Love the One You're With. Um, let's see. My favorite episodes from season two would have to be the first two episodes, Wedding Bell Blues and Breaking Up is Hard to Do. I really, really... Um, I really love... Uh, did, I, did I pass it? Um, Reunited, which is episode four, when Kim and Nikki move back together again. Episode five, the JC Bowl. Um, episode eight, Election 2000. Uh, episode 10, Turkey Day Blues. This episode is episode where Kim literally leaves home on Thanksgiving Day to find a family that, quote, appreciates her because Nikki won't stop putting onions in the turkey stuffing. Heights <laughs> of ingratitude, you guys. <laughs> Ooh, like, first of all, onions are amazing. Get your life. Secondly, just take them out. Um... Episode 11, Cheers. This episode was actually directed by William Allen Young, a.k.a. Frank Mitchell. Um, it's the one where Nikki and um, Kim um, try out for the cheerleading squad. And episode 14, Blind Date Mistake. And... Let's see, let's see, let's see. I would probably say of the ones you haven't mentioned, In Sickness and In Health, this is the one where Kim, Stevie, and T make a music video. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So um, I think episode, I think season two was very good. Um, it came in really strong because season one ended off that cliffhanger. We we are past the transphobic moments. And um, I do believe that this season continues to show us a very strong bond between Kim and Nikki. Professor Ogilvie and his dynamic with Nikki continues to be a problem, but unfortunately it's going to be a problem for the duration. But I'm going to give the season a good. What about you? Same. Um, you know, I'm going to give it a good minus, just for the reasons you mentioned. Um, the... Like, it's entertaining, but all those sort of things that we talked about do sort of dampen it. But it is, it's it's fine. I, I give it, like, a good minus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so let's talk really quickly about season three. Um, season three, also 22 episodes long. The show's really still going strong. Now, let's talk about how episode 
season two ends before we jump into season three. And see the season three fin- season two finale was also a cliffhanger. Um, and Kim was dating a new guy named Michael. Michael is a single father who has a daughter named Alyssa, and she agreed to take care of Alyssa while he's working on an oil rig. But um, the season two ends with Kim hearing that there was um, an oil rig explosion and that he may not have made it out on time. And she decides that she's going to take care of Alyssa because Alyssa's mom is not in the picture. Mm. Well, Michael actually isn't new. Uh, If you remember, Michael is from Moesha and he's Q's cousin. And right, 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 right. That's true. He's a he's a the <laughs> new boyfriend on the Parkers, but he's keeping around. That's true. Yeah, he's That's been true. around. He's and he's like and they and the show does connect it in that way because he is Michael from Moesha, Q's cousin, when he shows up on the Parkers. Cause it's specifically she's like she recognizes him and, and she even says like there she's reconnecting with a high school boyfriend. Right, right. Um, and her and Michael never ended on bad terms. I'm not really sure why her and Michael broke up. It might have just been, oh, well, we're in high school. Let's not be too serious type of thing. But th- it was the precedent on Moesha that Michael never mistreated Kim, never talked down to her, never belittled her, and was always down for her. Right. Uh, Michael was a very good boyfriend. Yeah. Um <laughs> Um, he was always very, very good to her. And um, so when this they re- reconnect and she learns that he's a single father now and that he's been taking care of um, of his of his daughter and that he might be gone, um, she decides to take to take care of Alyssa herself. That's how we end season two two on that cliffhanger of not knowing if Michael's alive. We open season three knowing definitively that Michael is gone. And man, the show took a huge risk doing this because killing off a love interest, even if they haven't been here very long, is a very risky move. Killing anybody in a sitcom is a very risky move. But Michael's dead, you guys. Like, that shit, that shit threw me for a loop. Yeah, I mean, it's it's particularly even stranger on the Parkers. I mean, maybe, I guess just shout out to Mara and like Sarah and Finney and the kids. They just, they, they love a dramatic storyline, girl. They love a melodrama. They, they don't know how to do this like fun shit. Like it's just a storyline that feels really out of place for like the Parkers considering the, the Parkers has like never been that serious everything's been like super fun, super light. And then here comes this like really dark plot line. And it's not even like, and it's, and it's something that even feels really serious. Like the way he dies, like an oil rig explosion, like that's stuff that happens all the time. Like people have like received Oscars, like based on making movies about stuff like that. Like, you know, like oil rig explosions. It's not like it's, um, Hillary, where like, <laughs> yeah, from Fresh Prince, where like her boyfriend dies, but he dies something doing something spectacularly, spectacularly ridiculous. You know what I mean? So, right. funny. it's like, right, like low key, we were all high key, we were all laughing at Trevor. Sorry, we about were it. high key laughing at Trevor because it's du- like, because it's a really, a really ridiculous way to like go. Now, if like 
Michael had died because, you know, he was at clown, at like a tragic accident at clown college where an elephant, like, where like, um, an elephant, like where he couldn't get out of the clown car in time or something silly. Like now that would be on brand for the Parkers. Like that would make sense tonally for the show and it would be funny and we could be like, oh, whatever. But, (laughs) um, this is like, it was, it was out of left field, at least for me. Same. Now I will give the show credit for some things. Um, we do move on pretty quickly after the season one opening um, and get back to our regularly scheduled programming and the regular feel of the show. We don't spend a lot of time seeing Kim in mourning or grieving Michael. Um, we do very quickly get back to the feel. And in this particular instance, when we're dealing with the aftermath of Michael, we do get to see a side of Kim that we had seen glimpses of before that comes out full force. Kim is a nurturer. Um, And we get to see the broader scope of that. Um, We also get to see how far Nikki's willing to go for her daughter. Because while she understands um, what's motivating uh, Kim to step up and say, I'm going to take care of Alyssa, I'm going to be her mom, this is her child. And she doesn't want her child being basically a glorified widow and a stepmom in you know at 20 years old right 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 um now michael's death was harsh like we didn't even get a body you guys oil ring explosion are you serious but y'all did a lot writers you did a whole lot um Shout out to Bill Bolware who wrote that season three opener and that season two finale um but Nikki does what she has to do. She contacts Alyssa's mom and she's like, listen, I know you aren't ready to be a mom and you knew Micah would take care of your daughter, but he's not here anymore. So you need to come get your kid. <laughs> and it's essentially that's what happens. Alyssa's mom steps up and decides this kid doesn't have anybody else. It's time to be a mom. Right. Exactly. Um, and, you know, it's hard for Kim to say goodbye, but it's what needs to be done. And yeah, we can have a whole conversation about how Nikki went around her, but at the end of the day, Alyssa's not Kim's child biologically or legally. And and I think that Nikki spared her from a world of hurt down the road if Alyssa's mom ever did come looking. Uh I I mean I agree. Yeah, she did. And I mean, I think and like I mean Alyssa will show up again, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and like the the mom f- for the baby will show up again this season right. somewhere. I I kind of love that about the show too. That you know, as strongly as Kim felt about the child, we have to see her again at least one more time. You can't just be like, "I'm gonna be your mom. I'm gonna take care of you," and then just say final goodbyes. You know, right? Um. So I'm I'm glad the show remembers that. Um, and c- commemorates Michael in that way because y'all really did kill him off savagely. <laughs> I know it was so. Ugh, it was. It was. It was not. It was. It was ugly. It was ugly, friend. It was so bad. But like I said, we get back to our regularly scheduled programming by episode uh, three. This yeah. is like wrapped up. This is wrapped up in like the first two episodes. We're done now. Um. 
No, no, this is wrapped up in the first episode. We're back to our regularly scheduled programming in episode two, Crazy Love. Um, they don't spend a lot of time on this, and I think it's good. If they dragged it out too long, it would have just felt way too intense. Right, exactly. Um, but we get a guest star. Uh, we get lots of guest stars. You know, shout out to 90 shows, especially black sitcoms. I don't know how y'all found the budget to get these people. Brian McKnight, at the height of his success, back at one Brian McKnight, you guys, was mm-hmm. on the Parkers. <laughs> Right, and he, he, oh yeah, he's on and he's so funny. Well, he's not funny, it's just fun to see him. Yeah, it is fun to see him. Um, It's fun to see a lot of people. Like, I remember Ideal from season one. Like, no one even really remembers Ideal anymore. Um, Warren G was on season one of the Parkers. Um, we have a it's, a, it's a, it's a lot of throwbacks. It's a lot of nostalgia, but you know, we're back to our regularly scheduled programming. We're back to Nikki and Kim's hijinks very, very quickly. Um, uh, this is the season where there's like an apartment fire. Um, uh, Kim gets a new boyfriend by episode six, Aaron. Um, oh, yeah. Aaron's a real himbo. Like, yeah. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we get another look at MTV's True Life. We got it on Moesha. We're getting it on uh, the Parkers. On episode nine, Kim pretends to have multiple personalities to get on True Life. Yeah. Like, Which is like... Ugh. Like, it's bad ableist, but it's also, like, deeply, deeply unstable behavior just to be thinking about, <laughs> honestly. Like, it's... It's another one of those things that comes out of nowhere to me. Like, it's not that it's, I'm like, I'm trying to decide, like, is that in character for Kim? Like, even, like, I guess, but also, like, what? Right. It's just so extra, like, and it didn't even need to be all that it was. Um, uh, but yeah, let's see. Uh, there's more hijinks with Professor Ogilvie as well. Like, class status and professor status aside, he's always in some shit, too. Except his shit is shit that he never needed to be in. Right. Right. Um, we learned, either back in season one or season two, that Nikki was adopted and her biological dad visits on episode 13. And they're kind of, there's a rivalry between her dads for her affection, which I think is really, really cute. Um, we need to see more black women, not just children, but adults having present father figures and black men working for the love and affection of a black woman, even on that wavelength. It doesn't always have to be romantic, but the fact that she has two fathers who are fighting over her warms my heart. <laughs> Same. It's really, it's, there's something about it that's really satisfying. Yeah, I love it. I love it. The season had a lot of, like, honestly, uh, opener aside, the season had a lot of, like, just really, really cute or very, very heartwarming episodes. Yeah. Um, definitely. Def- like, in, in, definitely in, you know, lots of cute, lots of funny, lots of fun stuff. Um, so where are you at with, uh, season three, Good, Bad, or Basic? I think that, um, 
season three is good and it ties with season one for me. Um, no, it's uh, yeah, it ties with season two for me, excuse me, because um, season two and three are my personal favorites. Um, I think it's very good. I, I think they kind of they kind of raised the bar and um, episode, you know, one and the season two uh, um, uh, finale episode were intense, but it did show us that um, Countess Vaughn has the range. If it showed us nothing else, she's got the range. <laughs> right. What do you think? Yeah. You know, I give it a solid good. Um, yeah, I give it I give it a solid good. It, it It's it's giving me everything that I want from 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 this stuff um, not from this stuff but from episodes? like a sitcom <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i'm talking okay it's giving me everything that i want i do have some favorite episodes uh i like obviously one baby girl two crazy love um seven the mummy's word it's like a halloween episode but it's basically like it's another sort of time capsule episode because the whole thing is basically they're redoing like the mummy, like the movies, like the Brendan Fraser movies, but they're doing it within the span of like the episode. And that's really funny and cute. Um, and I didn't realize like, that's how popular that movie was around that time. I guess <laughs> the fact that they're spoofing it on sitcoms. Uh, okay. But um time when Brendan Fraser was a literal cinema god. But um someone doesn't know how to pick good scripts. You know, and not only that, just like I mean he got he was his he was assaulted and like I think he sort of right. stood up for himself and that derailed oh. his career. I think he's he's talked about that now. But um yeah, like Brendan Fraser used to be it before sexual violence ended his career that's why that shit sucks um and if y'all remember encino man just leave a like real quick i want to see how old people really are in these days uh secret santa is fun um the revolution is good 13 my two dads 15 don't believe the hype um, 16, make a joyful noise. Uh, 16, the crush. This is when, um, the crush is interesting. So this is when Stanley's nephew, like, is into Nikki. And, like, it's, it's just, it's weird. Like, cause it's supposed to be, like, it's it's weird, but it's also kind of cute, but it's it's mostly weird. Um and yeah. Uh the dates from hell. Uh 21 it's showtime. And then 22 teach me tonight. Yeah, those are all great episodes. Um I'd say my favorites are Baby Girl. Yeah, I did Michael dirty grimy but the 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 dramatic acting on that show from nikki um from monique and from countess vaughn were top tier um i want to say nobody's fool episode four this is where nikki discovers some really like shady information about lady egyptian which is like the mary Kay avon black avon type of company that she sells for and she decides to make her own beauty line um, but then 
stumbles onto something even better, making food. Um, episode six, baby, you've got to go. Uh, episode eight, take the cookies and run. Nick, Nikki's in another scheme with trying to sell cookies um, from her big sister program. Uh, episode 10, and this is the episode, not seasons one or two, but season three, episode 10, Family Ties and Lies. This is the episode where Nikki learns that she's adopted. Because apparently not telling people they were adopted was was a very real thing back in the day. Yeah. Like, Reverend Run didn't find out he was adopted until he was damn near 40. Yeah, that's like a, I do know that's like a thing. Because like, you know, like in TV shows, like they'll always be like, I'm going to tell, like... It like it's a prerogative to like a brother and sister will get on a, in a fight and like a prerogative that one of them will eventually like use will be like oh did you know that you're adopted like and that right. will always like really shake one of them right. I don't know why that's like a thing but like it is a thing it definitely is um and I, while I can understand the motivations, hey, adopt a child who looks like they could be a member of our family and just don't tell them so that they never feel like an outsider. Like, it's still a lie, fam. Um, she does find out, and probably one of the worst possible ways a person could find out, um, on a nationally televised game show. <laughs> yeah, that's fucked. Uh, yeah, that's terrible. Um, but it's also in line with sitcom. Like, everything that... The, what makes sitcoms funny isn't that funny things happen. It's that ordinary thing happen. Ordinary things happen in incredibly dramatic ways. So dramatic that it be, then becomes ridiculous, right? Right. Um, so I guess it fits in line with that. And then she does meet her biological father in episode 13, My Two Dads. Um... And that was a cool episode. I'm glad that Nikki has two dads who are who are trying to look out for her be, while, while her daughter barely even has the one. Um, I guess that balances out. Um, who Mel is trash. We'll talk more about it later. <laughs> um, um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Um, oh, uh, 17, A Beautiful Lie. Uh, Kim, Stevie, and T take an IQ test, and there's a mix-up in the scores, and Kim becomes convinced that she's a genius, which low-key she is, and the thing about the show is that when she gets this these false results, this belief that, this, this, this new unshakable belief that she is very intelligent actually makes her start behaving more intelligently. <laughs> right. It becomes like a placebo effect. And it goes back to what I said before. Like you had to feed, especially very young minds, babies, toddlers, with this you can do it, you are smart enough, you can, you are good enough energy. Because half the battle of being pretty, being successful, even being smart is believing that you are. Right. Um, let's see, let's see. Um, episode 19, The Dates from Hell. Uh, this one, Kim breaks up with Aaron. And who's been her longest boyfriend through the run of the series? They dated from, like, episode 6 to episode 19. Um, and Kim starts speed dating. Always a bad idea. Episode 20, Mother's Day Blues. Also directed by William Allen Young. Um, uh, um, this is where, um... 
<laughs> the IRS evict the Van Lowe's from their home and they move in with Kim and Nikki. Um, Kim and Nikki are much better people than I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, much better people. Because no. Uh, and episode 22, Teach Me Tonight. There are a lot of really strong episodes in season three. I think it's very good. Um, let's jump to season four real quick. Um, season four actually has 25 episodes. This is the longest running season. Um, this this show was making bank. They did damn near no promo at all except on the network itself. Like, I saw commercials for the Parkers on UPN. I didn't see any outside promo. I didn't see them getting featured in any magazines except maybe Jet. Even Essence and Ebony weren't checking for the Parkers. Countess Vaughn and Monique were not getting interviews with magazines or anything like that. The show literally is one of the few shows that that was successful by its own merit. Right. Um, that's interesting. I don't quite remember... I remember that like Monique was really popular and therefore the Parkers was popular, but I don't remember like in terms of like promo from the actual network going into this season, like magazines and TV spots and stuff. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't remember there being a lot of it around. Yeah, there really wasn't. They were just like mm, sink or swim girls, sink or swim. Um, but they swam, and they got their longest season, episode four. I don't know any show that got their longest season in season four. <laughs> same. Same. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I think as even as we've been reviewing these, like, those the longest, those longer seasons happen in, like, season three or season two. Mm-hmm. And they're usually the best seasons. Like, everybody who listened to our very first episode, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, knows that season two is my favorite episode when it comes to content. And season one is, is like, has a special place in my heart because it's, like, super campy. Um, but that is most shows we have covered, too, where we have said season two or season three is the strongest season. Like, they got their characters under control, the dialogue under control, the premise is under control, right? Everybody's hit their stride. Um, but they hit their stride really early. They had really long seasons for the first three and they got their longest to second or for the fourth season. Now season three ended with Stanley and Nikki sharing a kiss and we didn't know what would come of this. And in the season one opener, um, professor Ogilvy proposes to Nikki. Uh, Yeah. The, oh, you mean, to, you're talking about the season four opener? Yeah, excuse me, season four opener, yeah. Professor Ogilvy um, proposes to Nikki, um, believing that she is with child. Yeah, and then he tries to take it back. Ugly. Um, you know, the I think what bothers me most is not that he's not attracted to Nikki, because he clearly is. Um, it's that... He feels embarrassed about being attracted to Nikki. Yeah, that's a big part. That's also a part of a big part of it. Yeah. Clearly he um, feels embarrassed. And like if you're embarrassed and you're ashamed to be around the person, but at the same time they make your dick hard, that's a you problem. Yeah, that's like a you gotta sort that out for yourself. Um, but 
you know, he keeps projecting on her, like telling her that he doesn't want her. But the mixed signals actually started in the third season, right? Right. Um, so season two, she finds out that she isn't pregnant and that's when he wants to take, excuse me, episode two, she finds out she isn't pregnant and that's when, um, he wants to take back his little proposal. Right. Um, it's, the whole thing is awkward and ugly. It is. But Kim, stay boot up Kim, starts seeing a new man, Alan, and, um, things are going well, um, in the beginning of the season, um, you know, um, by episode three, she is meeting his parents. Um, uh, you know, things are, things are good between them. Um, uh, but by episode five, Stanley is back up to his bullshit. He literally, he literally hired Kim to keep Nikki away from him. Wait, say that again. By episode five, Stanley's back up to his bullshit. He hires Kim to keep Nikki away from him. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, yeah, I remember that. that yeah. Too. Like, why would you enlist her daughter of all people? Right. Ridiculous. It just, it feels me. It's just, it's another one of those things that are like, that's really mean. Mm-hmm. Um, episode seven. Um, we get, uh, Kim's 21st birthday party. Um, for me, the 21st birthday is a significant one, but because of the nature of most shows now, they don't, they don't spill off into the college years, right? We rarely ever get a 21st birthday episode. Um, but we do get one and she wants to see Tweet. You guys remember Tweet? Oh my. Oops. Yeah. That's me. Oh my. That that woman deserved better. She could have been the one. Um, I I'm mad at everybody who let her fail. But <laughs> Kim wants to see Tweet for her birthday, and Nikki's determined to make it happen. She's trying to get tickets, um, on time, and obviously money is tight because Kim's father did not contribute as usual. Thanks, Mel. <laughs> right. Like Mel- why, why are you scrambling to get concert tickets? Your ex-husband, the father of your child, is literally wealthy. Listen, I just I hate hate it. Deadbeats, deadbeats gone deadbeat. A, he lives in a three-story house in California and drives. He and his new wife drive luxury vehicles, but you are out here running like a chicken with your head cut off to get your daughter concert tickets. Right. Yeah, I hate it. I hate it. Like, if we really take Mel into consideration, it makes the show so much more tragic. So I understand why they leave him the hell out of it. Right. Um, they're also, like, and then there are also some really, this is another one that's just, like, fun and funny with, like, um, schemes and schemes and, uh, and hijinks and stuff, like, there's like an episode with like Shaq, and that's really hilarious. Um, I think Nikki. There's an episode where Nikki goes on like one day at like a like a really famous um, daytime soap, and Jasmine Guy stops by, uh, and it's always awesome to see her. And um, this is like a really, but season four is a good season. I think this is probably the strongest season of the show. 
Yeah, um, it's a favorite for me. It's not. It's not in my. It's not my top, but it's it's incredibly good. Um, I, I honestly feel like that the season opener with, with dealing with Professor Ogilvy and his bullshit and Nikki's pregnancy scare left such a bad taste in my mouth. Worse than the Michael dying in an oil rig fire just because this was an this was a situation that predated season four and will, the bullshit with Professor Ogilvy will continue on. And at this point, I'm already tired of it. Like, I'm done. Like, like writers, imagine how tired we are. <laughs> Same, yeah. <laughs> we're we're tired. We're more tired than anybody. We're just so tired. Um, do you have any standout episodes from season four? Yeah, I do. Um, Mater meter maids need love too, because it's like I too have been in a battle of of. of I too have like had like a personal grudge against a meter maid so like i feel that like i relate to that heavy um (laughs) one time one time um so i i I really feel that one uh six in the winter is that's fun um uh kim's 21st birthday of course uh, eight, it's Gary Coleman. Nine, road trip. Um, road trip is a fun one, obviously, because they go on a road trip. But also, Hakeem stops by from Moesha. So that's all. I always like to see the the other universe showing up in the show. Um, I do think it's funny that, like, Hakeem, Nisi, and Miles, and I think even D has been on the Parkers, but... <laughs> Brandy ain't show up once. I mean, we already have a lead, sweetie. We already have a lead, sweetie. Um, <laughs> like, ugh, like I get it, but like, woof. Um, it's still just funny. They really brought Miles through, though. I I love it. The petty is real ripe. <laughs> oh, the petty is so serious. Um, Love Potion eighty three. That's funny. Um, uh, a sterling relationship. 18, that's what friends are for. 21, internship. Um, Kel from Keenan and Kel fame uh, uh, is on that episode. Uh, the good, the bad, and the funny. And then 25, an Ivy League of her own. Um, I think the standout episodes for me would be definitely not the season opener. Definitely not. Um, Like, the first three episodes are so... The first four episodes are just so Ogilvy-centric. I hate them. Mm. Um, so I would say episode six and the winner is Kim T and Stevie audition for a talent show, something like an American Idol, but they don't tell each other. They audition independently, not as freestyle unity. Um, episode seven, Kim's 21st birthday, you know, we have the tweet concert and this is the episode where Stevie also learns that T is interested in her romantically. Um, Episode 
eight, it's Gary Coleman. I love a sitcom alum <laughs> rolling through because like anyone who knows anything about sitcom history, uh, uh, black sitcom actors, like Gary Coleman is the goat. Like he ran different strokes. <laughs> right. He was working his ass off while, while his peers were, you know, learning how to write in cursive. So <laughs> shout out to him. Uh, the road trip episode is really good. That's episode nine. Um, uh, episode 10, Sign of the Shack. Um, Shaquille O'Neal guest stars on that episode. Um, and William Allen Young got another directing credit. Um, uh, episode 12, The Parent Trap. This is where Kim's or Nikki's bio dad and Andel's mother start dating. And they're, they're like, they're all excited at the possibility of becoming sisters. But then the relationship kind of like, does not go as planned and and they're mad at each other because they're each taking their parents side right um that was a great episode that was really funny um episode 17 a sterling relationship um, we meet Professor Ogilvy's much successful older brother, Sterling. Like, Stanley puts on airs, but, like, Sterling is actually who Stanley pretends to be. Basically, yeah. <laughs> and he even has the better name. Sterling, come on Sterling. now. Sterling. Shout out to Sterling Brown. That name is so attractive. The name is attractive and the man is attractive. So I'm just put that in there randomly. Um... <laughs> um Episode 20. Sorry. Bless you. Episode 20, Join the Club. This is another episode where, like, Regina shows up. Um, uh, Episode 21, Internship. That's the one where uh, we see Kel, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, there's this weird tension with this Asian girl that does a black scent on that episode. Can we dead that? Can we decide to have like Asian girls who, uh, whose life isn't dedicated to getting to an Ivy League, who don't put on black scents, and who don't have brightly colored hair as a sign that they are alternative? Can they be like human beings and not tropes, please? Right, right. <laughs> um, that would be super fun. Uh, oh, and da 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 da. da. Episode twenty five. Like, mm-hmm. But so, so hold up. No, sorry, real quick. No, but in 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 internship, she's Blasian though, right? Isn't she? Nah, she's Asian. You're talking about the girl at the fashion internship, right? The yeah, the Asian girl in the glasses. Hold on, let me. See. Was she wearing glasses? Yeah, she was wearing glasses, but um, and she kind of she... looks like. She, at first, I thought it was Journey Smollett too, but I was like, no, she's too dark to be Journey. Like, I thought she was dark because she was Thai. I mean, like, if she's Blasian, just delete everything I just said. Off and, the she, <laughs> and I believe you when you say she's Asian, but she looks Blasian, like. And then okay, she you know what she could be blazing. Delete everything I said. <laughs> <laughs> Delete everything because she could be because blazing and Asian can look a lot alike. Like because the Filipinos, right, they are dark, look- Thai people are dark, Loatians are dark. It's hard to tell. 
Yeah. And then we are reading and, I said. <laughs> and then she gets like a thing and then she gets like a, a makeover at the end or whatever. Like she 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 has like a it's all that situation. Right. And when you finally see her, see her, I was like, oh, I was I really thought she was probably related to one of the Smollett kids. Like, cause she kind of looks it. Yeah, I can see that. But even their features I've seen on lots of like Asian people. You know, so like right. it's hard. So yeah, it's just hard. look at everything I said, because she could very well be Blasian. Um oh, and my last favorite episode, episode 25 in Ivy League of Their Own. Um you guys remember how in Gilmore Girls, Martin, no rich uncle came through for Marty? Well, a rich uncle came through for Professor Ogilvy, y'all. He inherited $10 million. Um, and a um, a very sexy widow with a string of dead husbands. Right. We love it. Um, because I really thought that they were going to finally kill him off. Um, <laughs> small wishes. Um so that's how season that's how season um, four ends with him getting this inheritance, hooking up with Paris, rushing off to marry her, and um, that is how we close season four. So, what do you think of season four? Good, bad, or basic? Did we already say that? I think we already yeah, asked we already that. said that. Let's jump into season five then. Season five is our very last season of the Parkers, but it's not. Uh, an altogether short one by any means. It's 19 episodes, so the shortest they've had, but definitely not a brief season. Um, they do give them like a proper season order to get their affairs in order. Right. <laughs> it's not like jumping from like 20 episodes to like eight. <laughs> um, um, yeah, season five from beginning to end just feels like a, a wrap up. Like we're just wrapping it all up. Right. It opens with where season four left off on that cliffhanger. Stanley sails off on the yacht um, to be to, to enjoy his honeymoon with this black widow who everyone tried to warn him about, but his dick wouldn't listen. Um, and Nikki actually stows away on the yacht. This is the season five opener. Um, she finds out where his secret honeymoon is taking place. She stows onto the yacht and she saves him just before his new wife, Paris, murders him. Right. She's doing a lot for a man that has no fucks to give. I and mean, I a man who, like, will not publicly acknowledge her. Like, who, I mean, by this time in the, in the, in the show, the show has established that he is attracted to her, at least finally, but he will not admit it in public. Which I hate. I um, hate that saying it's, it's ugly. It's very fetishy. And this is there's a like a documented history of men trying to hide their fat girlfriend, fat friends with benefits, or their their the girl that they just kick it with, never bring her out in public, never giving her a title for no other reason than she's fat. Right. I, I don't like this. I don't like it at all. And I don't like her going above and beyond for him. Like, even if he had claimed her and they were together and they broke up, like, dude, you broke up with me. You married this woman that you just met and had a secret honeymoon so that no one would know where you were. Like, no one could blame me for being like, he grown. Whatever happens, happens. <laughs> Right, and and that was one of my notes too. Is like I that she's just doing a lot for somebody who doesn't care, like 
doesn't care about her. Like she's she's exhibiting so much care and concern and and beauty and like feeling for somebody who just doesn't deserve any of it. He doesn't deserve a fraction of it. He doesn't deserve a fingernail of her energy. Um, um, but um, episode two, Stanley learns that he is now broke because his inheritance has been um, claimed, snatched by Uncle Sam for his uncle's unpaid back taxes. It'd be like that. Tax the rich... I'm and all honestly, about. <laughs> that's the best thing that they ever did f- to him. Thank you, writers. L- listen, thank you. I was about to be like, you better get amen to that inheritance tax. Like, I'm about it. Right, right. Um, and then Nikki lets this man move in with her because now he's homeless. And of course, being Nikki and being in love with him. And being fixated on him in a very unhealthy way. I will never sit here and say that it's all on him. Her fixation on him is very unhealthy. It's not healthy for her self-esteem. It's not healthy for her self-image and self-worth. And it's just not healthy to fixate and obsess over someone like this. Um, but she she's thinking this is the first step to us getting married. Completely forgetting the fact that he's passed her over for numerous women by this point. Right. Right. Um we hate it. We yeah. hate it. Um, um Kim, who had gone off with her boyfriend, um, who um got a job working as a psychologist at or getting his degree at Harvard, she comes back. Um, but she realizes that um Nikki has already moved in Erica. Who's like this roommate from hell. Right. Um, I love roommate from hell episodes. I don't think any sitcom is complete without like a birthday party episode, a roommate from hell episode, uh, a mistaken identity episode, and um, a uh, we're entering a contest or sweepstakes episode. <laughs> right. Like if uh, like for me, that's like the those are like the life hammers of a sitcom. Um, episode five, like I said, they they had plenty of time to wrap this up, and like you said, it does feel very much like we are getting closure on the situation. But because Professor Ogilvy is a shadow that colored every season, getting him and Nikki together obviously becomes a central focus to the writers. This makes season five, to me, unequivocally, hands down, the worst season. Right. Uh, It's, and it's, it is, it's not a good season. And like, there's also, there's a part, there's also parts of like the season that feel like they're trying to be very similar to Moesha in tone, which also kind of bugs me. Um... Uh, which which kind of bugs me with regards to... Because, like, this isn't Moesha. Uh, so that's annoying. Um, there's, like, an HIV-positive episode this season, which is, like, ugh, that's also not handled, like, well. Um, 
like, and Chili of all people, Chili from TLC is like is is on the episode for like, like really randomly, and it's it's just awkward. Um, Literally, the only good thing to come out of season eight is that Gerald Levert, the L of LSG, rose. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Like everything is just so bad. Um, Kim is acting out of character. Nikki is thrown much more deeply into that obsessive, fanatic woman who can't take a hint um arena. And honestly, Stevie and T's storylines are so much more interesting this season than anyone else's. I was about to say TV and Stevie and T get like good, like, you know, like one-off, like Line, stories and stuff right right because everything that nikki and and kim are going through is like basura like from a writer's standpoint um it's really hard to watch um professor ogilvy goes you know he's still dating around he's dating the single mom he he straight up lies and he does this a lot he lied about being younger last season to get a younger woman this season he lies about being a single dad in order to date a single mom he straight up Bru- lies to and misleads women as a, as a, a, a routine <laughs> right it's like what yeah it's a lot um who murphy lee um, gets an appearance also on the She's Positive episode. This episode is handled so badly. Um, I think they tried to handle it well, and they probably thought that they were handling it in a very sensitive fashion at the time. It's not. It's not sensitive at all. It's not. It's not. I'm saying, I'm sure they thought that this was sensitive at the time. Right. <laughs> like, they thought, oh, yeah, we're going to give a pretty girl HIV, and we're going to talk about HIV, da, 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 da. But they do very much stigmatize it. Yeah, it's like it's like a whole it's really it's just not good. That's it. I don't know else what to say about it. It's not good. It's not like sensitive and it's not like sort of um it's not fair to like anybody. So Right. Eh. I'm glad that Chili from TLC got a check. That's all. Same. Yeah. It's like that was nice. Um but the series ends with uh, Professor Ogilvy and Nikki getting married, which girl, I guess <sighs> it's not the fact that they got married that pisses me off. Although I would have been pissed off. Like, f- first of all, I would have dragged this regardless. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. I would have dragged this. This she and Professor Ogilvy end up getting married plotline regardless, because he's not a Michael. He's not literally any of Kim's boyfriends who've always treated her well and were proud to have her on their arm. He is not he is not the guy who comes around and realizes I was dead wrong for treating you the way that I've been treating you. Um, and I'm going to let you live your best life. He literally waits until she is in a secure relationship with a good guy and she's engaged to marry that other guy before he realizes ain't nobody else want him. So he should go get Nikki. Right. Basically. I hate it. This is disgusting. And I mean, that's what happens. Like that conversation that he has with his, with his, I guess, alter ego or himself in the mirror 
um, where he his mirror speaks back to him. He's like, the, I mean, the conversation is basically like, oh, she's done, every, she's mewled for you for like for four years. Like, where else are you going to find a good mule? Do you think those pretty girls are going to mule for you? No, they're not, sir. Like, so that's clearly who you should be with. I'm like, wait, what? Right. Like, I wouldn't have even been mad if they did the whole interrupt her wedding and declare your feelings in season three. And not to marry, but to start dating. To give Nikki and the audience the time to show that he has had a change of heart and of actions. Right? Because mm-hmm. the the man that we're seeing now, like you said, just wants a good mule. His head is still going to turn at every other pretty woman. He's still going to think that he can do better. Or that he deserves better than Nikki. Right. That's so gross. That's so gross. It's it's and, a really gross ending. It's not like happy like they want to make it out to be. Yeah. Um, it's not. It's really, really not. Um, she's about to be with a really good man. And he ruins it. Like... It's not even that fact that she ends up with Professor Ogilvy who hasn't changed and 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 is being rewarded for being trash. And we talked about this back in our vampire season, right? Um, people getting forgiveness that they didn't have they didn't earn through remorse and change of action and corrective behavior, right? Right. Uh, it's the fact that you snatched her away from someone who was really good. For someone who's treated her horribly, you're essentially saying she deserves to be treated horribly. Right. That's it, it's ugly. We hate it here. We hate it here. Um, but we do wrap up St- Stevie and T storylines, which are good. Um, uh, T ends up going to uh, the uh, Berkeley School of Music. And Dell marries Lester, so even she gets a happy ending. And Lester is a good guy as well. Um, Stevie ends up going to business school, and then she and um, Kim end up going into business together. So pretty much everyone except uh, Nikki, because I refuse to believe this is a happy ending, gets a happy ending. Right. I mean, y'all could have just gave her the Lisa treatment on Sister Sister. Lisa ended up with a good guy that wasn't Ray. But even if Lisa had ended up with Ray, it wouldn't have been bad ending. They had years of developing a relationship and co-parenting together. Right. And so, and there's something about Nikki. Because Nikki graduates, right? Mm-hmm. I think she graduates the episode before. Mm-hmm. Well, there there is something annoying to me about, like, I'm happy that Nikki is fulfilled and gets, um, and gets, uh, you know, not that it's really a success, like, not that Professor Ogilvy is in, in marrying him is a success, but I also kind of am annoyed by the way um uh somehow her professional success is like put on the back burner to marrying this horrible man that doesn't even really care about her right and it's also implied that 
she didn't deserve this horrible man who didn't care about her until she had achieved that success. Like, right. work hard, girls, then you too could get a guy who is ashamed of you and embarrassed of you and treats you badly. Right. And we'll, and we'll, and listen, we'll, I think we'll, we'll directly compare and contrast these when, when we get to strong female lead and we talk about Drop Dead Diva, which I've looked at again recently uh, in preparation for this episode. And like, it's just like the writing and the sort of implications are night and day. Um, I really just don't understand why Nikki couldn't have been written the way that Kim was written in regards to relationships and how men treated her and how she handled romance. I just don't get it. Same. I don't get it. <laughs> it doesn't particularly make sense to me. Like, yeah, I know how to do this. Obviously, you are doing it for our other protagonist. Right. And I, I mean, I guess it just speaks to... I guess it just speaks to how serious fat phobia is. Like, that this would be... That this would be considered, like, right or, like, a good ending for her. That's it. I... <laughs> that's all I got, honestly. Because, like, there's... I, I don't understand... I don't... There's no other way. Right. Um, we, uh... <laughs> Like, and honestly, this is literally at... Shit, sorry. Continue. Go, just say that again. This is literally, like, like... It's so difficult for me to stomach because it's, like... It also reinforces, I feel, in a lesser sense, the fact that... Um, being with a horrible person is better than being alone. Right. And um, no no woman, it's in particular should have to settle for a man who's settling for you. <laughs> right. And it's and it's hard because you and that's a hard thing because it's like you don't want your your lead to end up alone. But like also like they can't end up like that cuz I think even cuz I think even being alone like as Nikki is a flat black fat black woman is like is is a bad message as well. That's also that's still sort of like bad messaging, um, in a sense. But ugh, ending up like this is like this isn't it's not it either. Right, right. Um, it's not it. It's really not it. Um, we do learn in that season finale, um, also just to get a, a couple laughs in, I guess that, um, we learned the prior episode that Regina is pregnant and then we learn in the finale that her baby daddy is Freddie Fabulous. Oh yeah. That was hilarious. And I think that was a great flip because it was always assumed and heavily implied that Freddie was not just gay, but rather effeminate. Right. Right. And so them having a baby together really w came out of left field. But I think it also breaks a lot of stereotypes. Because I think too often we assume that because a person is gay or they appear to be gay, that, like, they've never had heterosexual intercourse. And, like, I know tons of gay people with biological kids. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that was, like, a, that was like a turn. Um, but, it, I mean... And like you said, for those reasons, it's interesting. But then, like, she 
she acts like really ashamed of it. So like there's still that sort of like femme phobia, um, biphobia in there, but uh, it's what it is. She's um, basically pulling a Stanley Ogilvie at this point. <laughs> at that point, like, yeah. You clearly wanted it, but now you're ashamed about it. Okay. Um, I mean, and and I think there's other things too. She's still that bougie girl, even though the IRS came for all her family's things. She's still that bougie girl at heart, and she probably thinks like from a class status that she's too good for Freddie. Probably, yeah. Um, but yeah, the the way that this season opens from open to close. These Stanley Ogilvie teas keep leaving a horrible taste in my mouth. Like, I need a palate cleanser after season five. And I hate that. (laughs) Same. That's why it gets, like, a a basic minus for me, to be honest. I'm going to be real. I gave season five a bad. And I don't think I've ever given, like, an entire... Like, I gave the entire one through four good. Season five is, like, demonstrably bad. And I've I'm sorry, you guys. I'm sorry, but what what is y'all doing? Like, is this is this fat phobia or is it specifically targeted at Monique? Because I can't 100% say with certainty that it's fat phobia that you would give her character. This, I'm not even gonna call this shit a relationship. This dynamic with Professor Ogilvy when you guys treat Kim so well, right? I don't know. It's it's definitely something to think on. Um, overall, the Parkers, though, is like a series. I think um, this is another one of those shows. It's like, it's a great time capsule. I don't need it rebooted. No, but like, I, I'm open to something else like it. Like, and I definitely think I'm open to something like it. Like, that's maybe more in like the dramedy vein. Yes. Sort of like an insecure, maybe. I would be into that. I would watch that. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, I'd be down for that. Now, I'm going to do something I haven't done before, but I'll probably keep doing in the future. Um, You know, to the writer's room, pros and cons. I'll start with the cons so we can end on a high note. Things that this season, this show did wrong. Um, fat phobia, misogynoir. Um, particularly where Nikki Parker is concerned, um, transphobia, um, internalized homophobia, um, uh, fetishizing of, of fat women, um, not holding deadbeat fathers accountable, not holding deadbeat fathers accountable. I'm going to say that twice because it was a theme also with Kim's father, Mel. Um, Nikki's uh, obsessive behavior of the, of the professor being put in a comedic light. Uh, all of these things I could have done without. But what the show does very well is it has a great comedic timing. It is able to do drama without getting too dramatic and too intense. Our supporting characters were handled very well. Shout out to CV&T. Um, uh, we do give our leads uh, a fair amount of range throughout the season. And and I can't stress this enough, the uh chemistry between Countess Vaughn and Monique is amazing and the writers absolutely capitalize on that by walking that line of mother and daughter as well as best friends and this is no simple feat so I have to give credit where credit is due
And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the Parkers good, bad, basic, and thoroughly entertaining. If you'd like to check out this sitcom, The Parkers is currently streaming on Netflix. Please let us know your thoughts on this series via our Twitter or Instagram. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. We'll be keeping our throwback season rolling next week with our recap of the memorable father-daughter sitcom, One-on-One. One-on-One is currently streaming on Netflix, so get into it if you haven't already, because you don't want to miss out on this conversation. The Good, The Bad, The Basic is streaming on all major podcast platforms, so be sure to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at The Good, Bad, Basic on Twitter and at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content, as well as our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic, where all of our episodes drop first. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. Become a member of the G family at patreon.com forward slash good bad basic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time, bye everyone.